Man, my prayer is um, if you stepped into 21 days of prayer with us, it, is, it has been such a good time in my own personal life. I don't know about you guys. I've been talking to many other people, and I want to encourage you. If you've stepped in and maybe halfway through the week, you're like, you just, it just didn't happen, you know? It just wasn't there. I want to encourage you would, you, would you step right back in? So today, let it be the start of a brand new rhythm. Step back in. And I, I've been so shocked. I don't know about y'all. But on, on the second page, you write down, what did you see God do? And it's been amazing to look back at my day and I'm like, God, I don't know. Did you do something? And this thing will come to my mind and I'm, I see how it lines up with what I wrote earlier in the day. And I'm like, yo, it's every day. I mean, I could really look at every single day and I'm like, some of it ain't even around me, but I see God working around me. You know, it's not through me, but it's around me. And I'm like, God, you are so good. You are so awesome. And it gives me a reason and a chance just to worship. And I want to encourage y'all, if your faith is maybe a little bit stagnant, if you're stuck, step into this 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you're brand new to it and you're like, I don't even know what it looks like to fast, does that mean you're not eating? It does not mean you've got to stop eating 100%. It doesn't mean that. Grab one of the packets on the way out and uh, it'll help you walk through and discern what does this look like for you. Everybody's walking a different journey. So it's available to you guys. Stop on the way out and start the journey today. And I promise you, it's a life-changing experience. Hey, um, so, so we've been walking through 1 Thessalonians. We get to this portion where we talk about hope, steadfast hope. And today I want to define for us and walk through what does it look like to hope? What is hope? What is hope? Think about it for a second. Like, what does that mean? What do you believe it means to hope in something? In Job 8, Job chapter 8, if you know the story of Job, it's this guy who walks through really, really challenging circumstance. Like everything in his life is basically taken away. And he has this friend who basically vents. He, he shares his peace. He gives a testimony. And he says something that I think is fascinating. In Job chapter 8, verse 13, he says this. Those who have no God have no hope. Those who have no God have no hope. The closer you draw to God, the more hope-filled you will become. I guarantee this to be a fact. The closer you draw to him and the more you know him and get to really understand him and experience him, I promise you, you will grow as a person of hope. The biblical definition of hope. But Because we communicate so widely, you can look over on social media or the news or on TV, whatever, whatever outlet you're looking at, and I promise you, the idea of hope seems to be waning, is it not? Like you look at the polls and everybody's idea of what uh, is happening in our country. Everybody says, are you hopeful for the future? Everybody's like, no, we're not hopeful for the future. We're, we're scared about the future. It seems that all the information is pointing us to be a little bit fearful about what's to come in the future. Rick Warren said this. And I, I love this. He said, um, when a culture has no God, here's what begins to happen. When a culture places hope in anything other than God, here's what happened. Wealth is idolized. Life is trivialized. Truth is minimized. Abortion is legalized. Television is vulgarized. Everything is sexualized. Consciences are desensitized. Education is secularized. Free markets are monopolized. Races are marginalized. Politics is polarized. 
Sports, scandalized. Education, secularized. Morals and ethics are liberalized. Education is secularized. Entertainment, crime is sensationalized. Drugs are popularized. Sin is glamorized. Breakup of the family is rationalized. And God is marginalized. This is what happens in a culture when we put our faith in something other than God. Those who have no hope have no God. Those who have no God have no hope. Let's define hope today as we step in. Help us understand a little bit what I'm talking about. First, what isn't hope? What, I mean, what is not? When I'm talking about hope, what is it not? Today, hope is not optimism. Don't get it twisted. Hope is not optimism. So here's what optimism does. Optimism looks at the circumstance and the situation and the data and says, that can't be, it's something opposite than the data points it to. So I'm gonna, despite the data, I'm gonna think absolutely positive about the situation, some kind of favorable outcome. That isn't true hope. Now, I'm not saying optimism is bad. Okay, listen to me. I'd rather be optimistic than pessimistic, right? But that's not what hope is. That's not biblical hope. And optimism can be good, but it won't change the world. And I believe the hope that we have actually transforms the world. Here's three types of hope. The first type of hope is a wishful hope. Here's what a wishful hope is. It's when you're late to work and you're driving down the street like a banshee and you pull up to the light that's red and you go, I hope it turns green. I hope it turns green. It's a wishful, you know, it's like, I really wish, I really wish. And no matter how bad you wish, that light ain't turning green, is it? It's on that timer, you know? Some days you get lucky and you just keep hitting them, right? It's just, I love that day. That's my favorite day. Like, would you just keep hitting them? You feel like something special. Something's like watching over you, you know? It's wishful hope, though. And it's not a hope to build my life on. That's for sure. So when we're talking about a biblical hope, this isn't, this isn't the hope that we're actually talking about. I wish, I hope, wishing a whim. The second type of hope is an expectant hope. So here's a type of expectant hope. I went to Ace Hardware this week and I bought uh, seeds to plant a little garden, right? I'm gonna, have a, I'm gonna be a little farmer in uh, Rocky Hill. So if y'all want some fresh food, you can come on to my house because I'll be growing it this year, maybe. You never know. <laughs> it's the great idea of the moment in my life, you know? But I have this expectation because I got seeds, this is what those seeds are going to do. When I plant them, I have an expectation that they're going to grow. I have a reasonable expectation because the data supports it, right? So I have an expectation, a logical expectation. So there's an expectant hope. Another uh, expectant hope is when a, a lady is expecting, right? So why is she expecting? Because she's pregnant. And we know what to expect. In nine months, there is going to be a baby, However, if maybe some of you in this room, I can, I can attest to this, not always do, does our expectation come to fruition. And when we surely expect it and it doesn't happen, you find yourself heartbroken. And some of you today have an, had an expectant hope in your life and it didn't come to fruition, so you find yourself heartbroken. And I want to welcome you here today. You're among people who've experienced heartbreak. And I want to tell you, if you ever thought you were alone in heartbreak, you're not. 
we all in this fallen world together and we've experienced heartbreak. We expected one thing, we got another. But there is a third kind of hope. One that allows us to make, make it through some of those situations and circumstances that seem very, very challenging. There's a certain kind of hope. Certain hope. And this is the biblical kind of hope that I want to talk about today. It is not a wish and a whim. Hebrews 6.19 talks about this hope. And, he's, and it says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Firm and secure. Now, if you've got a wishful hope, it may not be an anchor for your soul today. But maybe you thought it was. What does an anchor actually do? Does anybody like boating in the room? Anybody like to boat? Love to boat. Come on, there's like three of us. We go on the lake together, all three of us, you know. We're going to throw a party. When I go boating, what does, a, what does an anchor do? If you've gone boating and you forget to anchor, anchor down, you know, and uh, you're eating, you're having a good time, you're having a couple of drinks, and you're sitting there, you're hanging out, all of a sudden what happens? You find yourself on the bank, right? Like you're just up against it, your boat is like kind of like hitting, the, and you're like, how did this happen? Like, how did we get here? But that's exactly the way life is. That's the natural propensity or the natural tendency of all of us is to drift a little bit. And you can probably think back and you're like, man, when my life wasn't anchored to a truth, I found myself drifting. And I thought when I got to the place of hitting shore, I said, how did I get here? The second thing that an anchor does, and I started looking at pictures of anchors uh, if you have a giant ship out at the ocean, these anchors are amazing. Each link to, uh, to, to uh, the chain that actually drops this anchor down is over 500 pounds. And when you look at them, if you go to research pictures, you can see these chain links are the size of people. And they're dropped into the ocean. And, and when a storm comes, it actually keeps the, uh, uh, the big ship out in the ocean from turning over from the pitch and the roll of the giant waves, it actually keeps it stable. And so I don't know about you, but I've hit storms in my life and they hit me. <laughs> and when I didn't expect them, I thought, what the heck is happening? And my, my life is just going. But if you've got an anchor for your soul, the storm comes in your life and you actually don't find yourself turning over. You need this certain hope as an anchor for your soul because I promise you, if you're not in a storm today, I promise you at some point a storm is coming. A storm may be coming. When the gospel truth was told to the Thessalonians, many realized that they were anchored to things that weren't quite worthy of being anchored to. They had a hope but it wasn't a firm foundation kind of hope. So when the gospel came to them, they heard this good news for the first time and it unearthed what their life was anchored in. They realized that it wasn't worthy of being anchored. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4. After they decide to turn from idols, it says they turn from idols and they turn to Jesus. Here's what began to happen. He writes this encouragement and this is the encouragement that I want to share with you guys because I believe as we put these things into practice, this is what will turn the world upside down. First, First Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. He says, listen, I don't want you to be uninformed. I'm writing this to you because I want you, I just want you to be aware. 
And hear, hear me say, like, I might say some stuff with passion today because I'm a passionate person. I really care deeply. I just, I want you just to be, I want you to be informed. And I love how Paul allows them to not hit the mark perfectly. He said, listen, I want you to be informed. Please be informed. Listen to this. Brothers, I want you to be informed about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. What's he talking about? He's saying, I don't want you to grieve in a way over people when they pass from this life to the next like other people do. Why? As others do who have no hope. They have nothing that their life is anchored to. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. So what he's saying is, you have a brand new kind of hope. You have a hope for those who leave this earth, and you have a hope for yourself when you leave. We don't have to be like other people who grieve, who have no hope. So it caused me to think, all right, what does this look like in their life? Why are they grieving in such a way that they're, they're maybe scared or terrified? Why would you grieve when somebody passes away? And why would Paul write this specific idea to the Thessalonian church? So I started looking at what they actually believed in. If you look at the Thessalonian church, they were people who worshiped many idols. So they had many different gods. In the Roman and the Greek day, they worshiped the gods that many of us have actually heard of. We've studied them, Zeus, um, who, who's some of the others. Anybody know? Come on now, help me, help me out. I'm, I'm, I'm lost here. Yes? So, great, great, great. We got all the names, all right? Sweet. Dionysus, Aphrodite, Zeus, Caesar is even one of the gods that they're worshiping. Think about this. If you know anything about these gods, they're almost schizophrenic. They operate in the passions like people. You don't know what to expect they're looking to judge at any moment. They're terrifying. So when a loved one were to leave, they find themselves in the hands of these beings that you don't know what to expect. I mean, they have Caesar as an example. They're terrified. And so what, what he's saying is, you don't got to be terrified because the one true God, here's the God who loves you and he's firm and he's the same yesterday, today and forever. You can trust him. And he showed up as a person named Jesus. And he showed himself as a servant and he loves you. This is the God that we serve. This is him. They had no certain hope. So then I followed the line. There's a giant shift in culture and philosophy in the 18th century. Do you know in the 18th century, it's the very first time in human history that we know of that it became normal to, to actually not believe that there was anything beyond this place. It wasn't until the 18th century that we were like enlightened. We were actually smart. Listen to what happened. Listen, listen to some of what's said in the 18th century. Listen to, listen to Nietzsche. This is what he says. Nietzsche uh, in Beyond Good and Evil, in 1886 he wrote this. He said, he opposes all notions of hope in hidden harmonies, in future blessedness and justice. He rejects any aspect of hope. When I read this first, I thought, what happened to this guy in his life? What happened to him that he got to the point where he said, there's no hope in justice, in the harmonies of relationships? There's no hope here. 
He put hope as a strong emotion. He put it right in the category of anger and fear and voluptuousness and revenge. He repeatedly characterized hope using the metaphor. Listen to this. This is what he said about hope. He said, hope is the rainbow over the cascading stream of life. This is what hope is like. It's like a bridge in heaven, which is like a rainbow. In other words, it doesn't exist. It's not real. It's a lucky charm. And at first when I read this, listen, some of y'all are like, what the heck is he got? What is he doing today? Like he's, I'm going somewhere. Listen, let's go with me, okay? Let's go. I read this at first and at first I'm kind of, I'm like, man, dang, so wrong. I got plenty of hope. Arthur Schopenhauer is the next in line after Nietzsche and this is what he began to say. He said, it is normal for humans to hope. He also claims that we generally ought to hope less than we are inclined to calling hope, and he called hope a folly of the heart. He said hope may make it often impossible to grasp things that are relevant. Hope thus distorts cognition in a problematic way because it hinders the intellect to grasp the truth. So check this out. Anybody like Netflix documentaries? I'm an addict. I, I, I loved, I just could watch documentaries all day. I love them. So I watched the Aaron Hernandez documentary, okay? Go with me here, okay? It's going somewhere, I promise. I'm watching the Aaron Hernandez documentary and here's what happened. This guy, from a young age, super young guy, even from his days in Florida, basically is shooting people, <laughs> rolling up in his car. Somebody spills a drink on him at a bar and he rolls up to the stoplight to the guy who spilled a drink on him, looks over and shoots the two guys dead in the car. The following week, he signs a $40 million contract with the Patriots. He knew it was coming too. Check this out. And in this documentary, here's what, here's what the guy uh, who was investigating said. He said, the, 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 the evidence started pointing to Aaron, but we all thought there's no way. We know who he is. He just signed a contract with the Patriots. I mean, he's a tight end for the Patriots. You see, listen to this, listen. They had a hope. It revealed a hope that they had, a hidden hope. And you know what I realized in myself? That it wasn't so foreign to me. I might have sided with it if I hadn't been studying what Nietzsche was saying. You know what happened? That investigator thought, if he achieved the hope that I ever had of my life. So the hope that I have is if I got $40 million, my problems are gone. Anybody else think that in the room? You got 40 million, you, you good. You will sit on the couch the rest of your life. You ain't got no one problem, not one. So why does Aaron have problems? Why? And why was the investigator sure that if he just got what he hoped for, he wouldn't have those problems? If you think back to what these philosophers are saying, if you have a false hope, what it does is it blinds you to the truth. Those of us in the room who actually get to the places where people aspire to get to, 
You know, you know the truth. People are applauding you, praising you, so proud of where you've gotten to, but you know the truth. You know. It ain't what everybody thinks. But all of that is hidden in a hope, the desire to have what you have. What Nietzsche saw and what he said, what I am learning, was actually true. He isn't far off. But here's the beauty of, here's where, here's where we begin to find hope, right here. Here's where certain hope is. And he said, Nietzsche said, there is no certain hope here. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying. And some of us, we might, we might be believing that there is some kind of hope here. And you'll find yourself, uh, eventually, if you got it, your world will find yourself shaking. It won't be a good anchor for your soul. But check out what Soren Kierkegaard said. And I want to encourage you, if you like deep reads, uh, read Kierkegaard. He's, about, he's in the 1700s, but he's a philosopher of the 1700s. This is what he said. He said, there's a kind of hope that occurs spontaneously in youth, which appears to be a pre-reflexive hope, a hope of immediate trust or confidence. So here's what he means, okay? What he's saying is, and every one of us understand this, when we're children, we instantly hope in the person who's next to us or the adult, right? You just automatically believe them because you have no experience that tells you don't believe them until... An adult breaks your trust, and now you know. In the same way, you wake up every Christmas when you're a little child, and you are pumped, right? I mean, like, pumped beyond belief. You're going to wake up at the, before the sun rises because this is the greatest day of your life. Every birthday until you're, what, 10 is the greatest day of your life. Why does it stop? You learn that, guess what? It's wonderful, but I know the truth. It won't sustain me. So you know what I do now on Christmas? I tell my kids, I'm like, I'm going to get up for you, but I'm so tired. I love Christmas time. I love it so much. But I know, I know, I know the reality of it. I, I know that it's just going to be a moment. And so I, I, I just need to sleep a little bit more. We shift, we change. That's what Kierkegaard is saying. Here's what he says, though. And he'll explain it a little bit more. It is followed by the supportive calculation of the understanding. That's what I was talking about. So you learn by the misses and failures that this earthly hope is often disappointed by the lateness or non-arrival of the expected goods. So you have this hope of something coming and it doesn't happen and you have this late arrival or it never shows up. So you learn, don't hope in that. Don't hope in mom and dad. Don't hope in people. Don't hope in circumstance. Don't hope in a job. That's why. You wonder why older people are sometimes angry? Because they're smarter than all of us. <laughs> For real. You ever wonder why there's a grumpy old guy? Or a grumpy old woman? They figured you out. They figured every circumstance out. Hope ain't here. That's exactly where Nietzsche got to. Hope ain't here. So you find yourself a curmudgeon. Hope ain't here. But you're right on the edge of actually discovering where hope really is. Nietzsche was so close. 
And if you're in that place today where you're actually getting cynical and you say hope isn't here, you're so close to actually an encounter with the living God because you're finally coming into realizing the truth. Here's what he says. This disappointment is necessary. This is what Kierkegaard said. This disappointment is necessary in order to acquire eternal hope. You've got to get to the point where you say hope isn't here. Hope isn't in my husband. Hope isn't in my wife. Hope isn't in my kids. Hope isn't in my job. You've got to get to that place. And the more you get to that place, you can actually come into the reality of the situation. It's not here. In order to acquire eternal hope, which is against hope, because according to that purely natural hope, there was no more hope. So when there is no more hope, all of a sudden hope can enter when you start going, there has to be something beyond what I hope in. Is there something that is a firm foundation for my soul? And the scripture points us to that firm foundation, which is the truth. Here is why it is a certain hope. I'm not calling you to believe in Jesus because it's a wish and a whim. You might have been called into a stupid kind of faith that says, believe this and you will have, don't think about it. I encourage you guys, if you are a doubter in the room, you're welcome, but go discover what this guy means. Because did Jesus really show up? Is Jesus a real guy? Is his claim that he said, I am God and I'm gonna, I'm gonna rise in three days actually happen? And here's the deal. If it is, if this is true, then everything he said matters. Nobody in all of history has made a claim like him. Nobody. So he's either true or he's a liar. He's either God or he's a nutball. He's crazy. So if, if you're struggling with belief, I want to encourage you, go seek the answers. You were not called into a wish or a whim kind of faith. You were called into a certain hope. One that isn't here. So if you're getting to the place where you still think that you can have a hope or you can still have something here in this world that's going to keep you solid, you're, you're almost there. You're going to get there. And I believe that maybe even today is the day where you realize maybe I'm going to come to the end where I'm going to go, my hope is not here. Are you still searching for the rainbow over the cascading stream of life? What are you looking for today to keep you stable? What are you trusting in today that's got you solid? You see, the hope that shifted in the Thessalonians became an anchor for them in a day that every, all, everything was in turmoil. Everything was, in, is a storm, was a storm for them. Paul concludes his letter. I don't want to miss this. As I thought about what's coming this next week, I want you to think about what's, what's coming the next week. And it reveals some of, I think, I don't want you to be uninformed, just like Paul said. On Monday, we're going to celebrate a guy, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, right? Worthy of celebration. Do you know the message he was preaching? He was saying, listen, for all these years, we have laws that say every man is created equal. Why are we, why are we treating men as if they weren't created equal? 
he was pointing our nation to needing a heart change. He was pointing us saying, the root of your affection is off. Your hope is in laws. Your hope is in this or that. And he was saying, our hope is not here, it is heaven. And God's desire is that this place look like heaven. But here's what we see in 2020. We're gonna celebrate a guy on Monday. And then on Tuesday, we're gonna impeach a guy named Donald Trump. Hold on. Do you know why everyone is so up in arms about this? Is because we're sure that if we could just change the circumstance, we're actually gonna have a hope for a nation to be great again. And there's another side that says, if we just keep him in office, our nation's gonna be great again. And I wanna tell you what's gonna create a great nation. It's not gonna be in the White House. It ain't there. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying this place don't matter. I'm not saying politics ain't a stage that the glory of God can be seen. I'm not saying that at all. But I don't want you to be uninformed, my brothers and sisters. Here's what Paul says in chapter five. Now concerning the times and the seasons, this is the end of days. I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to see this. I want you to know it's coming. That's what he says. Brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Listen, don't be uninformed. While people are saying, here's what people are going to be saying when the, when, the, when the final hour comes and Christ shows back up. There is peace and security here. We finally got it under control, everyone. Listen, y'all can go back to hoping as normal. Don't worry. Our world is secure and you now have an anchor. We're secure and safe. Church, you've got to see through the bull. Don't get wrapped up in the things that are not true. We have to understand the times and understand what's actually true. When everyone is saying hope and security is here, don't worry. We know it is not here. That's what he was saying. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there is peace and security. Then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness. Brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're not dark, you're light. For you are all children of light, children of the day. You are not of the night nor of darkness. So let's not sleep as others do. That means let's be aware. When you're watching Netflix documentaries, would you be aware of actually what's being spoken to you? Would you not receive things just to receive them as truth? You've got to understand the truth. You've got to understand where hope actually comes from. He says, but let us keep awake and sober. This doesn't mean just getting drunk. Listen, listen, listen. The idea of sober is we're not swinging violently left and we're not swinging violently right in any circumstance or situation. We are people of confidence who is anchored no matter what the storm is. So if, you, if your life is anchored, I promise you, you won't find yourself going left or right wildly. You'll be stable right in a storm. When everyone else is freaking out, they're going to look at you and go, why aren't you freaking out? Because you know the truth. You believe the truth. You've hoped in the truth and the truth will set you free. 
Salvation has come to you. Thus, this is what turned their nation upside down because they were being persecuted, they were being killed, and their lives were steadfast in hope. And everyone said, there's got to be something to this. Why aren't they doing what everybody else is doing? Why aren't they freaking out? Don't they know what's coming for us? Don't they know our nation's in turmoil? Don't they know? Yeah, we know, but we really know. I want to invite you into really knowing. Don't be uninformed, brothers and sisters, today. It's a little bit of a prophetic word today. And I pray that it speaks to our heart. Because Paul called this nation of people into obedience to actually let it resonate and actually transform their action. This is what transformed the nation. It wasn't preaching. It was living what was preached. It was understanding the steadfast hope and letting it apply to our life. Apply it. Think about it. Don't get wrapped up in what's going on in the world. And then he goes down and he says, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. So this is what's gonna guard our heart. Love. The love of God who loved me, gave his life for me. And I have this faith and trust in him and it's gonna guard my heart in these days where there is no faith and there is no love. I have a firm foundation that's guarding my heart. And he says, then the helmet for the hope of salvation. There's the word hope. This is what's gonna guard your mind today as you think. What is your hope firmly rooted in today? Is, the, is it everything based upon the truth that he's returning again? Is everything in your life actually pointing to that fact? Or is it pointing to that actually there's a hope here? Here's our hope for today. Here's the hope that he gives us and he leaves us with. And I want to encourage you in this. Number one, God hasn't destined you for wrath. Number two, be saved through Jesus. Number three, live life now with him. And number four, live life of building up others in this good news. Verses nine through 11 state this, for God has not destined us for wrath. Do you know he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to be wrathful toward you? Do you know he doesn't want to be wrathful toward your friends? That's not his design for you. I mean, that's hopeful. Come on now, this is good news. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, so he wants to set you free in a way that others are not free. They're bound by the wish and whim of the world. And they're just listening to everything that's being said, soaking it all up, and it's becoming a part of them. We're not people like that. Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him, live life now with him. So in the same way, one day you will pass away and you will exist with him in heaven. Here's what's also true. He offers you the, his spirit today to actually reside within you. You were meant to live life with him today. Walk with him today. Wake up every morning knowing that he actually desires to meet with you. Expect to meet with God. That's what our 21 days of prayer is actually all about. Meeting with him, expecting to meet with him. And the final thing is, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Listen, because this is true, God has got a call on your life to go give away good news. Why are you stuck doing what everybody else is doing? Go give your life away and actually experience what life is all about. Last thing that I want to say today, what's the step that you need to take? Is your life rocking right now? 
If you've trusted in Christ, then here I'm going to encourage you to step back in for a second. If maybe you've gotten to the place where Nietzsche got to and you got to the end and you're like, there's no hope here. I'm not found a real hope. Here's what the scripture points to actually receive salvation. Do you want to be saved today? Do you want to be set free today? It can happen today. If that's what you want, the scripture says, here's here's how we put our faith and trust in Christ. There's two words, repent and believe. That's what the scripture points us to. Without repentance, that just means that you believe a doctrine. You You just believe some words that don't have any meaning. Repent actually means that when you believe this, you put it into play in your life. So what's this mean? If he actually loves you, what do you have to do? What is the call on your life? He calls you into a different kind of life. Repent has two levels. Anything that you think that you've done wrong, bring that to him. And the other side of repentance is anything that you're looking to trust in other than Christ, bring that also to him today. If you've got a hope and a faith and a trust in something other than Christ, then bring that to him. And this is what you're going to say. Maybe you say, oh, I wish I had faith. I I really want that kind of faith. I promise you, if you're saying that today, then you actually do have the beginnings of faith. But if that's you today and you want to start that relationship with him, just, just share these words with the Lord. Father, please accept me. Because of what Jesus did, not what I do. So you're releasing your abilities. You're releasing your hope in yourself. You're releasing maybe the anchor that you have placed somewhere that it shouldn't be. Not what I do. I turn away from trusting myself and I've decided to trust in you. And maybe if you've wandered a little bit, just say that to him today. I've decided to step back in and trust you again. Not based upon what I've done, but based upon what you've done. I trust you. Now receive the favor of God today. And then, hey, let's go walk in this life that we were called to live in. This great hope, this certain hope. Father, today, I thank you for certain hope. I thank you that it's available to all of us. I thank you that you've set us free and that you love us. Thank you for your favor in our lives. And we ask that you would lead us from this place to people who need your hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.